1: Coming up on Stu Does America. We talked last week about the insane assassination story in Haiti. Faith wires Dan Andrews joins us with the latest from over the weekend. A straw poll out of CPAC sheds light on the GOP's preferred 2024 presidential candidate. And as Cubans stand up against their communist leaders, we need to ask ourselves: Will we stand with them? Let's do the Cuban protests. Stu Does America. That was a strange situation in Cuba this weekend where large groups of people gathered to yell random words in unison. Virginia! 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 Mm, very interesting. Wow. Sounds almost like the word for free. Which I assume they're probably celebrating the cost of all their needs in Cuba, of course, helpfully covered by the glorious Castro regime. Everything is free! Yay! Pretty sure that's what they were saying. Uh, here's another Cuban group chanting. It's incredible to see the love and adoration that the Cuban people have in general, of course, of the New York Liberty, the storied WNBA franchise who almost won half of its games this year. Interestingly, they spent a lot of time protesting how police treat uh, America, Americans here uh, in our country, while there was uh, less focus on their fans in Cuba. Here's one more scene from the fabulous protests. Freedom, 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 freedom. Of course, uh, that was Cubans again chanting freedom in reference to the Chase Freedom Unlimited credit card. Now offering up to 5% cash back on grocery store purchases, not including Target or Walmart, of course, up to $12,000 spent in the first year restriction supply. Apparently, some in the media thought the chance of freedom were not about a credit card. Hmm. The New York Times is using Twitter once again. They're shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. Hundreds of Cubans took to the street and cities around the country on Sunday to protest food and medicine shortages and a remarkable eruption of discontent not seen in nearly 30 years. Now, you can look at this a couple of ways, because I will say this. It, first of all, hundreds is not the way I would describe these rallies. Hundreds, uh, I mean, hundreds in certain rallies, but spread all over the country, way more than hundreds. This is one of the biggest things we've seen in Cuba in a really long time. And I will say this freedom is not an anti government slogan. I think you can take it that way, at least. I mean, freedom really isn't a slogan at all, it's a fundamental human. Right, I don't think describing it as a slogan is the appropriate way to go. The New York Times, of course, as you kind of would expect, is attempting to frame the protest as something questionable something. We don't know exactly what it is. Should we be rooting for these guys or not? And honestly, when you think about it, not that many people. Are they really that upset? Yeah, there's some protest there. We can't really stop the video from leaking out. But let's sort of demean it, dismiss it, call it an anti-government rally. You can look at it that way. That's one way to look at all of this. Another way to look at it, though, exists as well. And I will say a good chunk of me leans this way, because you know what? In Cuba, Freedom is an anti-government slogan. Freedom is an anti-Cuban government slogan. But more than that, freedom is against the communist regime of Cuba. This is something that is real and has been real for a really long time. Yelling for freedom in Cuba is an anti-government sentiment. It's not the same here. When we say, you know, uh, freedom. We want freedom. Uh, that means something different. It's, we're not talking about what they're dealing with there. Freedom. When you say freedom, is almost always in some way though an anti-government slogan. Ooh, you know, who else are you going to be free for? I guess if you're like the the you know you're in like Silence of the Lambs, and you're kind of at the bottom of a pit. You know, I don't know. Maybe freedom might be a pro-government slogan there. Please, government agents, come rescue me. But most of the time, when you're talking about national politics, that's what you're looking to be free from. Now, that doesn't mean that you want freedom from all government. It doesn't mean you want anarchy. That's not what we're talking about here. It's an anti-government slogan in that way. But those with the power to oppress are usually the government. They get their power and they use it against the people. This happens over and over and over again. That's why we go back to looking at what are the biggest killers of all time? We have, we're in the middle of, you know, not in the middle, maybe towards the end of the COVID era. You know, they think the estimated death toll worldwide is between seven and 14 million people because of COVID. But it doesn't touch something like communism. Communism killed 100 million people last century. The only thing that competes with communism over the the global history of this world is uh, infectious disease. And even that, you're you're gonna have to add up a bunch of them to get to the right numbers. This is the latest chapter in the Cuban struggle for freedom, and we are all sitting here witnessing it. This has been a long, long road for the people of Cuba. Now, the White House, and their first reaction was very strange. Uh, this is the first statement from the White House and what they released. This is from one of the spokespeople. They said, Peaceful protests are growing in Cuba. Okay, so far I'm okay. As the Cuban people exercise their right to peaceful assembly. Well, look, they have a, a fundamental human right for peaceful assembly. The, our Constitution. Guarantees that right there. They don't have the peaceful right from their government to actually assemble But that's a whole other story to express concern. However, about rising covid cases and deaths and medicine shortages We commend the numerous efforts of the Cuban people mobilizing donations uh, to help neighbors in need now Biden later on released a stronger statement, but still focused a lot of this on COVID. And I got news for you. Not everything is COVID. I'm not a COVID denier. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it hasn't been an ugly year and a half. But the idea that COVID is the reason this is going on is pretty ridiculous. Now, this is about their failing socialist health care system. And that is, of course, tied to COVID. It's, it's related in some way. But, you know, you're not seeing these types of pro- protests in you know, countries with functioning healthcare systems. This is about the healthcare system and about the communist regime more specifically. The same healthcare system, however, that the media has been praising for a very long time. Remember Michael Moore's movie, Sicko, which is one of the lar- biggest documentary uh, films in theaters of all time, even though it's <laughs> a flop, really. I mean, it, it just tells you that documentary movies don't really make a lot of money in, in theaters. But that was praised by the media. Over and over again, we were asked the question, is Cuba really so bad? Maybe that's just right-wing narratives at work. Michael Moore had the answer to that question.
0: Okay, okay, I know
1: what you're thinking. Cuba is where Lucifer lives.
0: The worst place on earth. The most evil nation ever created. How do we know that?
1: Because that's what we've been told for over 45 years. See, you've just been, it's been pushed into your head that Fidel Castro is a bad guy over 45 years. That's why you believe it, not because he actually is. And I just love, by the way, and I'm just realizing this for the first time, all of these Michael Moore movies were products of the Weinstein Company. Good old Harvey, in between visits to the plant next in the basement, was, was funding all of Michael Moore's movies. Uh, actually, Cuba's healthcare, we learn from Michael Moore, is not bad at all. It's wonderful.
0: And so now, after all these years, one thing is clear. The Cuban people have free, universal health care. Oh. They become known around the world as having not only one of the best health care systems, but as being one of the most generous countries
1: in providing doctors and medical equipment to third world countries. <laughs> I love that part is particularly uh, uh, fun because what these... Uh, Country. We're seeing this in Russia right now with the vaccines. Russia has the Sputnik V vaccine, which actually seems to be relatively effective. Uh, I don't know that I would take it. I'm a little skeptical of anything coming out of Putin's uh, hands here. Uh, but I will say, uh, generally speaking, the medical reports have been pretty good on it. However, the people in Russia aren't getting it. The, the vaccinations in Russia are not particularly uh, high. Why is that? It's because they're shipping out all of their vaccines to other countries to try to win their favor. It's the same thing Cuba does with healthcare. They don't give healthcare to their own citizens; they ship it out in a way of doing healthcare diplomacy to win over others to their side of the aisle. Uh, this is not something to praise unless you're, of course, Michael Moore. And Moore went on to basically try to paint the uh, the picture that the Cuban system was healthy, was working well for its people, and that medications were plentiful in Cuba. They believe in preventive medicine, and it seems like there's a doctor
0: on every block. Hmm. Their only sin when it comes to healthcare,
1: seems to be that they don't do it for a profit. Oh. Uh,
0: anybody in yeah. any medication right now for the pharmacy? Why don't you leave your cares and troubles behind? behind. Why, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, mm-hmm. I'm glad to see you in C. Oh, are you the pharmacist? Yeah. You have this?
1: Good old Weinstein Company. Just going to work for you guys. Nothing better than learning about health from Harvey Weinstein and Michael Moore. should point out also that Michael Moore is fat. Amazing luck running into the fully stocked pharmacies in Cuba and completely not at all set up scenes of doctors making house calls. What a wonderful coincidence for the film crew. The media has assisted, and not only with that movie, but all their coverage over all these years. They've assisted in Castro's underlying arguments. Uh, they've over and over and over again said that this is the way to go. Maybe not full communism, but this universal health care controlled by the government. How else? Only sane countries would do this, and insane ones would not. We are not a sane country. All the, most, uh, the, the best countries on earth, all of them. Do it that way, and that way is always better. Every few years, an opportunity arises somewhere around the globe like this. Freedom for Cuba is the one we're dealing with today. But, you know, it's some place where some band of incredibly brave people who are searching for what is rightfully theirs decide to stand up. This is the type of thing that is completely foreign to most of the citizens of the United States today. Our founders knew what this was like, cuban iranian former soviet refugees they know what this is like but most of us have either never known or forgotten long ago we saw the obama administration look the other way when iran stuck their, ne- their necks out the people of iran against their government we saw the current administration along with the nba look the other way when hong kong cried out for freedom as well as the previous administration didn't do much on that count either frankly Now we see Cubans once again risking everything for just a little taste of the freedom that we take for granted every single day. What is it really like on the ground in Cuba right now? Will this push finally be the end for the Castro family? We talked to one of Cuba's most renowned human rights activists next. If you bought a home last week for like $100,000, you can sell it today for $3 billion. That's what's happening in the market right now. Now, you got to have a good real estate agent to pull off a deal like that. I mean, it's not exactly true, but it feels true. You do have to have a real real estate agent uh, to get the best deal, though that part is true. And you need to have someone who understands the market, what the market will bear, how much you can take, uh, you know, whether you need to fix uh, those extra few things or maybe you just leave these, maybe you don't bother with it. Maybe you don't bother calling the people over for the extra stuff this time. You know, when they, when they send in your, little, if you're selling a house right now, they send in a little list of complaints, well, we'd like this fix and we'd like this fix. You know what you say right now, no. Actually, I don't know if you should say that, but there's a good chance you should say no to some of it because right now we are in a market that is favoring sellers, as you may know, but if you're a buyer, it's really important to have a good real estate agent as well. You've got to have somebody on your side, someone you can trust on either side of the transaction to maximize the transaction in a market like this is vitally important. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com now. Get more information. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. Name says it all. realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm happy to welcome to the program Rosa Maria Paya. She is a Cuban human rights activist and the founder of Cuba Decide, a citizen initiative challenging Cuba's political system. Rosa, thanks so much for coming on the program.
2: My pleasure, thank you so much.
1: We really appreciate it. Um, can you kind of give us a sense as to what, has, what started all of this in Cuba, at least not going back a long time, but just like what's the recent init- uh, impetus to this particular round of protests?
2: people are tired of the repression is tired it's very tired of living without opportunities without having the actual without being the rulers of their destiny people is tired of the of the crisis and people understand that they get out of the crisis is the end of the dictatorship that's why they have been in the streets by by tens of thousands, probably more, at least in 45 towns and cities, including all the major cities across the island, they have been protesting, demanding very loud and clear the end of the dictatorship, chanting for freedom in the street, asking also to the international community to pay attention to what the Cuban people is demanding and to support their demand for a democratic change.
1: I know as an American, I, I look at this and I, it, you know, it, it makes me really happy to see the Cuban people be able to, to express themselves in this way. Uh, you know, I worry about what's around the corner for them as, as we know what, the, what this uh, regime is capable of. Uh, what makes this round of protests different than maybe anything we've seen before?
2: Well, it's, 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 it's the largest protest that we have seen in decades probably is the largest of all the times of communist dictatorship and people is very determined to uh, to get down with the dictatorship that's what they are chanting in the streets for first time All the major cities across the island have been rising against the uh, against the oppression. And today, while we are talking, they are protesting in the streets. They are protesting in Havana. They are protesting in Santiago de Cuba. They are protesting in Guines. They are protesting even after the police cracked down on the uh, on the on the protesters in a very harsh and violent way. We have been uh, we have been receiving reports of at least five people assassinated in the strips in Santiago de Cuba. We, we we know of at least 80 leaders of the Cuban Civil Society and opposition that right now, while we talk, are detained and disappeared. And that number could be multiplied for maybe for 10 or, 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 or for 5. We don't know because they also shut down internet access. So during the most part of yesterday and today, we have almost no communication
1: uh. with people in Indiana Yeah, that's really interesting, because I wondered if part of the reason why this was so widespread was people somehow accessing social media, uh, being able to organize in ways they weren't able to before. We've seen this around the globe, really, with different protests, this being one um, of the biggest, uh, and certainly uh, one of the most just. Is that a factor in this?
2: definitely definitely that's a factor the, the 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 fact that now more people have access to internet but we have to understand when we talk about access to internet in cuba is nothing similar to what we have here in, in in the in the us the access to internet is very very expensive people connect for periods of time during the day and uh, and of course it's totally censored and uh, in, in many times when they need it they just they just Shut it down, as they did yesterday, and they are and they are doing today. That's why it's also so important that those that have the capacity to help the Cuban people to be informed and to communicate among themselves to do it. And that's something that we are also asking from uh, from uh, from this administration that if they have the capacity to give internet access beyond the interference of the regime to the Cuban people, please do it because right now that access could safe
1: life. Mm. Uh, You know, one of the first reactions from the White House was a statement that basically seemed to insinuate that this was mostly COVID-19 related. They later on have now kind of updated those statements and they're a little bit more, I think, uh, directly about what these protests are really regarding uh, when it comes to just freedom uh, from the communist dictator. How have you uh, viewed the response so far from the White House and are you hopeful for what they might do?
2: I think that the words of uh, of, of President Biden uh, this afternoon and the and, and the statement early early today was 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 very clear in in, in supporting the right to freedom of the Cuban uh, of the Cuban people in contrast to, with what came out from the State Department and I think that it's a very good first step for the for for the President Biden to support the right to our people to determine. Their, their future. But now we need the second and the third step. We need real actions in order to support that right to decide of the Cuban people, in order to protect the right to democracy that the Cuban people have. And by the way, this is not all, only a responsibility from the United States. Actually, that's a responsibility for all the member states of the OAS that have committed to defend democracy of all the peoples in the Americas. How to do it? Well, it's time to condemn the repression in Cuba. It's time to warn the Cuban regime about the serious consequences of shooting against their own people as Diaz-Canel, the puppet of Raul Castro has command in national TV to the military. It's time also, it's time also to activate each protocol, in the United Nations, we seen the inter-American system to support the demand of the Cuban people. That is very clear. The demand is the end of the dictatorship. It's for the dictatorship to live. For more than 70 years, the Cuban people haven't participated in free, fair, and multi-party elections. We need and we are asking for a change in the system, the international community has now the opportunity to be in the right side of history and for instance start sanctioning all the repressors and i'm talking not sanctions to the state i'm talking about sanctions to the repressors to those that are commanding violence and fire against civilians in uh, in in my country the international community namely united states the european union the uh, the oas they can also they can also activate their their global uh, they are all global mechanisms to sanction these repressors. Enterprises, all those enterprises that have been doing business with the regime all these years, now they have to decide if they are going to continue be, being accomplices of a, of a dictatorship that right now is repressing the people in the street and is even killing them.
1: It's, uh, it's, I mean, you just hope that there's something that we can do. I think in the, in the United States, we so closely associate, unfortunately, Cuba with the Castro family and communism, it almost doesn't feel possible that the people could rise up against that. Is there a possibility in this country of enough people getting together to over, overthrow uh, um, Castro, and is there a possibility of getting support from the military or whatever else is, whatever other sort of institutions inside the country that might be able to assist?
2: Well, the fact that for 62 years, the Cuban people have been submitted to a, a criminal dictatorship is not a proof that we cannot liberate ourselves what we are asking for is solidarity what we are asking for are very concrete actions that could support that demand for freedom and could actually increment the amount of pressure that we need to put over the dictators to then for them to have to submit to the will of the people and leave and give Way to uh, give way to change. And when we ask for solidarity, we're not just asking for an altruist gesture towards the Cuban people. The, the Cuban dictatorship has been a threat to the national security of many countries. We wouldn't be talking about the collapse of the Venezuelan democracy without the Castroism in the island of Cuba. The, 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 the Several federal employees. Of, of this uh, of this country of the United States were attacked in Cuba uh, uh, in that in that very dark episode called the Havana Syndrome. Actually, the Cuban regime could be right now thinking of blackmailing the uh, United States with a massive exodus to alleviate the internal pressure and also to get concessions. The answer from the United States should be stand with the Cuban people, not negotiating with the Cuban regime without the liberation of the political prisoners, without the end of the repression, without the respect for the human rights without actually the beginning of an irreversible process that goes towards the transition. That's, of course, that, that's possible. Only need political will.
1: Mm. Rosa Maria Praia, the founder of Cuba, Decide. Rosa, for uh, you outlined really well the, the ways that the U.S. government can get involved here in governments around the country. What can the average citizens do? Is it just supporting it, learning about it more? What, what, what's, the, what's the best way to help?
2: Well, we live in a democracy. What what, what the American people want matters for politicians. We ask you, please, to support our right to decide, to support our right to democracy, to support, actually, also the... Protection of the national security of this country, and ask to your representative also to support that demands, to pressure the regime, and to help the uh, and to help the Cuban people. My father, Oswaldo Paya, which is in that uh, in that painting, right behind me, he was killed nine years ago by the by the Cuban dictatorship, by direct orders of Fidel and Raúl Castro. In that moment, but he told us. He told us that the night was not going to be eternal. Today, the Cuban people is seeing the sunrise. We need the support to make it a fact.
1: Mm, That's powerful. Rosa Maria Paya, founder of Cubit Aside. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And we wish the Cuban people well. Please let us know how we can continue to help. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for a brand new week of Doing America. I've got my America Doing boots on. Do you? If you have a chance, support this stupid little show by following me on Instagram at StuDoesAmerica. I've got the pics. I've got the exclusive content there. Uh, the link in the bio will show you how to watch and share any program on any platform. And uh, you can get a link to the merch and everything's there. So go to my Instagram page at America. So there is uh, there are some results, some numbers to look at from CPAC here. They did a uh, Republican primary 2024 straw poll. Let's start with the one um, uh, that Donald Trump was allowed in. They included Donald Trump here. And uh, this is what I've been saying forever. And I think this is the truth. You can't always tell something from a CPAC poll. But the truth is, if Donald Trump runs in this party right now, He's going to win in a landslide. And that is what the uh, result was from CPAC. 70% of people at CPAC said uh, Donald Trump was the candidate. 21% for Ron DeSantis, who uh, came in there. After that, you had 1% for a few candidates. It was Rand Paul, Nikki Haley, Ted Cruz, Tucker Carlson, Christy Noem, and Mike Pompeo, all registered, though. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, way, way behind. I mean, this is a Trump... This is a Trump DeSantis race, basically. And I want to just quickly highlight some people at the bottom here. You had four sort of moderate types that you, maybe the media would like and you Mitt Romney, Larry Hogan, John Kasich, Charlie Baker, all of them got zero from the sort of populist wing of the party, Tom Cotton also got zero, and Josh Hawley got zero. These are the people that have been promoted so heavily as sort of the populist wing of the party. Um, And then you have Marco Rubio, who's sort of gone that way a little bit since his uh, first run for president. He's also at zero percent. Ben Carson also shows up at zero percent. So then they did the poll again. They said, look, what if Donald Trump doesn't run, then what happens? And as you might expect, then it is Ron DeSantis' race to lose. He had 68% of of the vote. Pompeo finished second at 5%. Donald Trump Jr. at 4%. Ted Cruz is also at, I think, 4%. Christine Noem was there towards the top, Rand Paul. Um, but you kind of get the, the sense, uh, once again, this is, a, this is a one-person race if Donald Trump runs. It's a one-person race if Donald Trump doesn't run right now. It's still very early. For example, I mean, Ron DeSantis is right now, I think, heavily favored to win his race uh, as uh, for governor, which is, I think, it's 2022, right? Uh, I, get this, I get these candidates confused at times, but it's 2022 for DeSantis. He's obviously got to win that race. I mean, that's a, he needs to. Same thing with Greg Abbott. He was included in some of this polling as well, did not show up nearly as well as DeSantis. But both of those guys have to win their reelection campaigns first. You think about someone, it seems like absolutely no question Ron DeSantis will win his reelection campaign. Remember, though, he was, I would say, a slight underdog going into his last race, which he wound up winning. And also, if you think about someone like uh, Andrew Cuomo, one year was a massive difference from him being one of the most popular governors in America to being in, enveloped in scandal and being run out the door. Now, I don't think that's going to happen to Ron DeSantis. I don't think there's any reason to believe he's going to be run out of office in, 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 a, in a scandal. Uh, and of course, it hasn't officially happened for Cuomo. Cuomo could still win. But it, things change over time, so there's still a lot of time. He's got to win that 2022 race first. If he does, he will be the overwhelming favorite that is not named Donald Trump. Uh, I think that's that's probable, especially if he wins it convincingly. Uh, he's in a very good position. Um, you know, my wife tells me he's pretty good looking, which I mean, you know, it certainly certainly hurt a little bit, but uh, was interesting information to take in. So there you go. Uh, you have uh, Trump. Trump's obviously the candidate if he wants to be. Kamala Harris, not obvious that she will be the one who runs uh, next time after Joe Biden. Uh, she is now, uh, she's being caught just some strange. She she's not good at improvising. So when a question comes that she's not really prepared for, it. she never really has a good idea where to go with it. Here's an example of this, talking about voter ID.
0: Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what what that could mean that could mean right
1: okay sure because
0: in some people's mind mm-hmm. that means well you're gonna have to um, some people's mind. Xerox or, or, or photocopy your mm-hmm. ID to send it in to prove who you are, who oh you my are. well there are a whole lot of people especially people who live in rural communities who don't there's no kinkos there's no office max mm-hmm. near them
1: literally people impressive.
0: have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Mm, that
1: is really... Of course people have to prove who they are. Is that but true? But not in a way that makes it them it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. Almost impossible? We're talking about identification. First of all, everyone's got a phone. Right? They can take a quick picture and upload it to the site if, if that's what it is. you don't have to worry about going to a Kinkos. What year is this? Beyond that, what do you mean it's that impossible? overwhelmingly minorities tell you over and over again they favor voter id you're just making minorities out to being incapable of dealing with everyday civilization it's so freaking insulting back in a second There are hundreds of companies out there claiming to compare auto and home insurance rates, but there's only one who actually does it and does it right. Get a better insurance uh, quote from Gabby. I've gone through this process actually. If you have your current policy uh, and you wanna find a better policy or maybe the same policy just for less cost, uh, basically, they can compare your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. You know, Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers, all the big ones you know. Use your current in- insurance information to get started. Uh, it's free, and they only show policies that are the same or better than your current coverage, and many of them are at a much lower price. Gavi customers save $961 per year on average, and they'll never sell your information, so you don't have to worry about spam or robocalls. I mean, you might have to worry for- about them, but. Not from Gabby. Uh, put your policy to the test like I did. Get a better insurance uh, policy with Gabby. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. G A B I dot com slash stew. Gabby.com slash stew. G A B I.com slash Stew. So have you subscribed to the Stu Does America podcast yet? It's the same great show minus having you look at my sub great face. Head to studiosamerica.com and pick your favorite provider to stream from, Stu, uh, from, of course, you've got all the uh, different options you can go to. Uh, of course, the podcast is there every single day. It's always free. We love you for doing it. By the way, review it. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Welcome back to the program. Dan Andros, he's the managing editor of faithwire.com. Dan, thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, no problem. And just for the record, I always consume my stew material with as his- little stew Facetime as possible so mm. I, I highly recommend the podcast is what i'm saying i'm not sure if that's helpful but
1: it's not but i do appreciate your uh okay. you chiming okay. in on that uh they do say uh, the less video the better uh for me and and that's okay i can take it i'm okay with that as long as you give me five stars you can say as many ugly th- things about how ugly i am that you want i'm fine with it um can we talk Dan, a little bit about um the haiti situation now you actually did a documentary on Haiti and went to Haiti not that long ago, only a few years ago, right? Yeah. Um, was, he the pre- was, uh, was he the president when you were there?
0: Uh, no, he was not. Actually, when I was there, it was like in between because they had just deposed, uh, and now I'm forgetting his name, you put me on the spot, but they had just, uh, you know, the United States went in there and extradited a guy out of there and everyone was hacked off about it. So there were all these riots there and, um, that's why I was going there. Cause there was an American missionary who stayed, her name was Kate Bartow. And she actually stayed when all the, uh, us citizens were told to get out of there. And she stayed, actually got basically kidnapped by a bunch of gangsters and, uh, lived to tell about it. Quite a story. Uh, but that's so that was going on when I was there. It wasn't wasn't safe then either.
1: Yeah. Well, there's never been a time. It doesn't seem that <laughs> right. Haiti was, you know, wasn't going swimmingly at any particular point in history. Yeah. Really, it's taken a huge downturn, obviously, since 2010. You have this big earthquake. They go through this political turmoil, as you kind of mentioned. Uh, the president gets in there. He's there. He says he's got an extra year in his term. They're kind of like, well, no, you don't. We want you out now. It's been kind of a it's been a, been a catastrophe. And, and people are are sort of overlooking as well the point that it was only two days before he was killed that he named a new prime minister. And now the old prime minister who would have been out of office uh, had the new guy been sworn in. Now he's the one running things. It's it's a very, very strange situation.
0: Yeah, it's hard to really follow everything with Haiti because it's so corrupt. I mean, that is the one uh, constant that you can you can count on in Haiti is that uh, it's incredibly corrupt, and that's what's been plaguing it all this time. I mean, for all of the people that I talked to when I was there, I've kept in touch with a few of them, and and that's the, the running theme that you hear. Nothing's going to change uh, until there is this mass um, kind of common willingness to stand up to the corruption. For example, the 2010, when they had the earthquake, um, there are people who control the ports and they take bribes. You're not getting anything in and out of there. Uh, unless you bribe and pay off all different kinds of people. And so I think it was like the Netherlands had brought over a big barge of like heavy duty equipment that would have been excavators and things like that desperately needed after a massive earthquake. And they basically were told, hey, you have to pay this person, this and this person, this to get this ship docked and all this stuff unloaded. And they were like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not paying bribes. And so they just ended up losing help because of Mm. corruption and bribes that wouldn't be paid. So, um, those people are never going to relinquish their power, not without a fight anyway. And so a lot of that is simmering beneath what you see. And sometimes it's complicated as to who's for who and who's against who. Um, but that's usually the bottom line is some
1: form of corruption. Uh, a couple things I remember from the footage that you took in Haiti. Uh, one was that there was still seemingly a lot of destruction around. Like, I mean, this was years and yeah. years after the earthquake, and it still seemed like a disaster area at times. Um, yeah. can, can you talk about that? And also, uh, one of the things that we did, uh, the as the West, uh, United States in particular, was to throw a bunch of money at Haiti to try to solve these problems. Some of it was had its own ties to corruption with the Clinton Foundation that a lot of places covered. But generally speaking, we tried to throw money, tried to be helpful, that's what Americans do. And there's an argument that's made on the ground, particularly in Haiti, that they say this doesn't help. Just throwing money at us doesn't help. We need to build uh, our own businesses. We need to do something that at least has a chance to to last. And you saw charities trying to work with that framework.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to your point about the destruction, um, they had also just got hit by hurricane. I I believe it's Matthew. My my, memory is horrible in the names. But they had just been hit by that huge hurricane. And so... It was the landscape was completely wiped out, and the parts that got hit hard with trees. But one of the things that that really takes your breath away when you arrive at Haiti that you can't you just can't really, really fully comprehend, like just from pictures, is the amount of just trash that's everywhere. I mean, you mm. take for granted here in America, like you see a, some trash somewhere, you're annoyed at a few things. Like there are just rivers of trash everywhere, Piles of trash, especially in Port-au-Prince, like, Dried up riverbeds, and they're just completely filled with trash, for as far as you can see. And you're just like, how is this pot? Like, is there a trash truck anywhere? Like, what is going on? Um, and so, it's just the poverty is just stunning. Um, how how they live, and and the throwing the money at the problem obviously has not worked. I mean, there was after the earthquake in Haiti, there was a groundswell of support from around the entire globe, and so billions and billions of dollars went to Haiti, and you can only assume that a lot of it was just lost in corruption. And I saw the same thing on a smaller scale, and that's what all of the missionaries that I talk to who work on the ground say, you know, you can't just throw money at the problem because it's going to go to the corrupt. It's going to get wasted. Um, You've got to go for more sustainable things. Um, Like, for example, Christian missionaries who want to go down there and help, and they're saying, don't go down there and paint a fence. Don't go down there and do something that a Haitian could do. You know, um, so where I went was a mission tourism that they were setting up like a like a nice little hotel, but all run and worked and staffed with Haitians. So uh, that was giving them jobs. So go down there. It's beautiful there. I mean, aside from the, aside from the trash, like the landscape is beautiful and there are plenty of natural, amazing things to see there. So and the people are actually great. So um, so go there and have a vacation and give somebody a way to make a living. So those sorts of things that are sustainable are are probably the better way to go. I understand the need to want to you know, give humanitarian aid and we should do that, but there needs to be more of a balanced approach, I think. And then again, a, some way to root out that corruption, which obviously that riddle hasn't been solved yet.
1: Well, perhaps we can at least donate your tourism slogan. It's beautiful here, except for the trash. <laughs> I, do. I think it's going to have a it's lot of people there. going. That's not helpful either. Um, but uh, before we go, uh, another tourism type of story. Richard Branson is, is yes. he went into space and, and I mean, look, sure. There are a lot of starving people and a lot of tragedy around the world, but at least we can get our billionaires into space. Something that uh, this, <laughs> this world can still accomplish. It was, I was fascinating to to kind of see, I, was there a collective shoulder shrug here from a guy going to space? Yeah, that's what it felt like. I felt like this
0: is one of those stories because I watched the live stream of it uh, afterwards, after the fact. And it's a, it's a rocket ship. They're just riding it in. It's just like a, a shuttle bus rocket ship. Hey, we went into space and there was sort of like this collective yawn, like it was a kicker story. Oh, by the way, a billionaire has uh, created a taxi that'll take you up into space and, uh, and on to Donald Trump's latest rally. I think Branson's got to be like, what do I have to do? I mean, I just took us one step closer to basically a round trip ticket to Mos Eisley or the Outer <laughs> Rim or something. And everyone's just like, eh. Like, let's just go ahead and talk about the
1: Delta variant for a few more days. Like, what? It it really does seem like people are not that, uh, you know, I mean, of course you have Elon Musk, who I guess has done more, you could argue, not himself, but his company. There's other companies out there doing other things. But it is interesting, like, here's a private citizen who's put himself into space, at least the very fringes of space. And it was kind of like a kicker story, you're right. I think part of it, like, and I I could be wrong on this, Dan. I'll get your thoughts on this. We're we're the same age, we went to school together. Uh, I remember watching the Challenger explode on television at school. Like, I remember it happening. I remember they're like, hey, a a teacher's going into space. Oh no, let's turn that off and let's get back to math. And I do feel like that moment, particularly for our little slice of a generation, sort of ruins space like i feel like people who are older than us and younger than us are really into space and i feel like our little slice of the generation is just like i don't really want to hear much about it
0: yeah i mean i don't remember a lot from fourth and fifth grade but i do remember i still remember that cart that wheeled in that the tv was wheeled in on a tube tv like we used to have back in the 80s and the teacher all excitedly turning it on, saying, did you know there's a school teacher on here? Watch. And then I just re- explosion going like, was that supposed to happen? What is that? <laughs> oh, and then, you know, like you said, like just the the quick kind of like, OK, kids, what do we do now? Uh, but yeah, maybe that was triggering for us, too. I don't know, because, uh, you know, I feel the same way. I mean, it's you know, it's one of those things that. You know, I just automatically assume there's going to be a tragedy.
1: Yeah, I know. I, it's true. It's been, I'm scarred. I, I have a kid now who is basically the same age that we were when that happened. And I think to myself, what would the letters from the school have looked like if would they <laughs> we got the kids all excited to watch their teacher go into space uh, and then they had to watch it explode? It was not fun. It was not fun. And I blame all of the problems in my life. On the public school system for that moment. That's, uh, you know, I I take responsibility like that. Fair point. I think it's fair. Dan Andros, managing editor, faithwire.com. Make sure to check him out on the Twitters as well at Dan Andros. Dan, thanks for hanging out. All right. Thank you. Did you know if you go to YouTube and you search for Stu, you find my show, you can comment on the show as it goes. Like, for example, David says the Biden art scam is so transparent that when you look at it, you can't see anything. Pretty much true. Uh, there, total scam. Some reviews from you. Uh, we appreciate this. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in five stars because Lisa Page made me do it. Uh, that's my wife's Instagram page. Check that out for sure. Five freaking stars. Uh, the appropriate numbers, number of stars. That's how you know I like this stupid show. Good point, five freaking stars. It's okay, I guess. The intro soundtrack is literally the best part of this stupid show. We're fine with that, by the way. You could just like the music. We don't care why you're here. Five freaking stars. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow.